love you. I was struggling with my spirit fingers there. I was... <laughs> Welcome back, everybody. Hello. I'm, uh, I'm cutting the song. We're going back to cold opens. I was feeling stale with it, so we're, uh, here we are. I'm just yeah. I'm just happy to have you back. Whole new face. Uh, it just it's nicer it's nicer instead of like trying to sing something when i know i can't sing that well uh it's it's nicer to just have those cold opens where i say welcome back to the couch couch potatoes welcome back but now i'm second guessing the couch couch potatoes because there's double couch in there so maybe it's just welcome back to the couch potatoes fuck it i'm the green traveler from gorsh i don't know that might that might break my mind uh, which is fragile, as we know all know. I am the faceless Leon. I I don't have a face. Don't put you near a fire. Don't put me near a fire. Yeah. Do you harden? Are you like? Are you like clay? Like, will you? If this, it did, like, it doesn't necessarily days? like cure like clay. Uh. It get it's actually a little more like melty, like a plastic. Oh. Yeah. So do you freeze then, like ice, or is uh, like does colder uh, days make you more brittle? Yeah, but I, it's got to be really fucking cold. Like I that's mean, fair. I got a really low freezing point and a really low melting point as well. And that's a Fahrenheit look at it too. We don't even know Celsius shit. I, actually, I was talking about Kelvin. So oh fuck, I've been stuck in America too long. I don't even remember other de- like degrees and like terminologies. It's just Fahrenheit. <laughs> We do everything yes, Fahrenheit. That's just Fahrenheit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're actually here today. The uh, the very first Patreon pick of the year. We're so Potato very happy. Pick. Potato pick. Welcome back to the new year. A new year of green and faceless on the couch. Hello. A podcast about movies and TV. <laughs> yes, indeed. I say that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm a little thrown with with the cold open. I guess. I guess. Oh, I so guess sorry. I've been using that time to to collect myself and to memorize your lines and to rem- memorize all my lines. <laughs> yes. Yeah, because this is scripted, as you can tell. Yeah, yeah, we're clearly always on point. We get all of our all of our facts out there as how we want it to. Yeah, just how we wanted to. We don't forget about anything or anybody. Nope. And you're definitely going to hear my dog in the background. Say hi to Garlic, everybody. (laughs) That's all right. My dog's whining in the background, so it's totally okay. (laughs) Uh, It's a puppy-filled episode, and we're here to talk about... We're doing a new segment. We've never done this segment before. Right. This is old versus new. Yeah, it's very similar to a sequel smash. Yes, very similar to a sequel smash, but we do remakes instead. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, it was submitted by our lovely patron, uh, patron patrons, Mike Hamilton and Don Don Callahan. So thank you very much. We always appreciate your uh, your lovely ideas. We sure do. So, here we are. We're talking about the Thomas Crown Affair. So, new segment, two films that came out 68 and then in, what, 99? Is that right? Or yeah, 1999. And honestly, I had never heard of this movie. Uh, I'm, I'm sure I've heard of it or seen it. I know I've definitely seen it because uh, the 1999 film is directed by John McTiernan, the director of Die Hard. And so I know I have looked at his filmography before because, you know, I like Die Hard and I like Hunt for Red October, which he also directed. 
And so I know I've definitely seen the name Thomas Crown Affair. Never thought to watch it. And so that's one of the nice things about the Potato Pick is uh, there's going to be movies that are going to win that I would never would have thought to have watched yeah. before. And this is one of them. Definitely. Yeah. Do we want to go? Do we want to dive into what the Thomas Crown Affair is in general and then talk about the 68 film and then talk about the 1999 film? I would think that we should talk about the 1999 film, then talk about what it means in general, and then talk about the <laughs> 1968 film. <laughs> so no, just fuck yeah. the whole strategy. <laughs> I think that's a good way to wind. go about it. That's a good way to go about it. Yeah. In general, it is about a bored billionaire yeah. who decides to steal. And one movie, it is uh, money, and another movie, it's a painting. Uh, but yeah, it, it, bored billionaire decides to steal, and in the process of doing so, he he plans this great heist, pulls it off, and then uh, a lady comes in to investigate, and they fall in love. You know, she kind of knows immediately who the individual behind the heist is, and he knows up front that she's coming after him. And in this weird cat and mouse chase, they just fall in love, and it's yeah. a, it's a whole kind of uh, look at. You know, do you do your job or you do you just, you know, go with happiness? Yeah. So it's, I think uh, I would call this film a situational romance. Yeah. And you know me, I'm a good, I'm a, I'm a lover of romance. I'm, you know, I actually really enjoy a lot of older romantic films, but more of like the Audrey Hepburn style stuff. And she has one that's kind of similar. Uh, I mean, it's not really at all, but it's like, it's called How to Steal a, uh, How to Steal a Million. Or something like that. But yeah, I do. I do typically love the older uh, romantic films, like specifically the '60s era. So you know, seeing a a romantic. I mean, it's not called a heist, but I mean, it is technically a romantic heist film. It's a heist movie, I would say. But yeah. like, the heist is in the but, first part of it. Yeah, I, I think I think the Wikipedia that I read classified as like a neo noir romance, and I was like, All I right. guess, sure. I guess I don't. I don't. I don't know if I would classify I as neo noir. Really, I I didn't like take a class on film genres, so I'm just here. I'm completely yeah. amateur. I I recognize I recognize that. Well, I mean, also I didn't pay attention in my film classes, so like, <laughs> let's be honest. <laughs> I'm not like I'm not like a good critic in that. Like, I don't know specifically what a noir is, but I, I guess it could be in a, in regards to how it is stylized. There is some. In the 68 film, there are some style choices that are kind of noirish, but I don't know. It's more yeah, of a I romantic heist so. to me. Uh, yeah. I mean, I've watched a few noirs, and I think you get what the, the point is, but I don't know about neo-noir. I, I don't know enough. I'm just right. Learning. Just a layman with a microphone. <laughs> and that's right. just fine. But you know what I feel like I am competent in talking about is like story. At least I did take classes on that, so <laughs> <laughs> And I like I like the story of, of both of these films. Um mm, the sixty eight sure. one, Steve McQueen is the board billionaire mm -hmm. and Faye Dunaway is the uh lady investigator. Uh, I think she is a detective in that one, right? She is there. Both instances, she works for the insurance company, and in this oh, one, okay. it's for the bank. And I kind of was under the impression that Thomas Crown was associated with that bank in some big way. I think so. Like, I feel like he was either like had a lot of his own money stored there, 
Yeah. Or had a, or was like a member of the board or something like that. I can't remember, but like I, I do remember there being a connection with him in the bank. So in this movie, I got the sense of the boredom because it's like, oh, I can do this to my own company, and I think I can get away with it, and it sounds fun, so I'm going to mm-hmm. do it. Like I can right. understand that mentality, but it still pissed me off because <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't have that much money, and you know, not that I. <laughs> even want to I'm gonna move my microphone my pop filter wasn't really covering up the microphone so I might have some some poppy oh I don't even have a pop filter all my peas are like pop pop and all the pit pat it's bad oh, yeah. now I gotta scrub them out I appreciate it <laughs> mine are just mine are just nasty no no they, it doesn't sound that bad after after I do a few little doodad things it, it, it sounds great this movie sounds good, too. Even Steve McQueen's laughs. I don't think they sound human, but they sound good. <laughs> Ouch. That's searing. I love it. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, man. I, his, he I, definitely... It just, oh, man. It just it's, it was so yeah. exaggerated, his, his laughter. That's the only part that I was like, okay, Steve. Right. I've only ever seen him in an action film. Like, I've right. seen his action stuff. I, I say action film as if I've only seen one Steve McQueen movie. I've seen probably three or four, I would say. And in all three or four of those, he was an action star. So, seeing him in a romance kind of role was weird. But he does have charm. That's the thing. It's like, he, yeah, he can't he be charismatic. And he is very attractive yeah he he definitely is and i love the chemistry he has with faye dunaway i think they pull off some really good scenes there's one that is just a staring contest while they're playing chess that goes on for a very long time (laughs) and it was very weird for me that was so that was uh definitely both of these movies have almost this weird dream sex thing go on yeah and it definitely starts with chess for these two. And, like, you get the feeling that they do fall for each other. But the romance in both films, for me, it, it doesn't really actually seem real. Mm-hmm. You know, it just kind of feels like they're just kind of... They're, they're both so focused on their, their lives, their work, that, like, just the fact that they found somebody who matches their wit and their, their like, mental, their mental mm-hmm. games that they like to play... It, that's like that's what the draw was for both of them. It was kind of like Sherlock finding uh, Moriarty, but Moriarty's not trying to kill him. You know, he's just like, "Hey, let's have sex," and you know, not try Irene? to try to. Irene does work, but in regards to the story, she's only in one story, and Moriarty's only in one story too. But he's talked about a lot more than Irene is. <laughs> sure, and also like I guess Vicky really does keep Thomas on his toes i don't know by the end i don't know that i feel that way necessarily because well I, it's kind of spoilers but it's an old movie but mm. gets away with it at the end so like it's kind of set up like that she was too distracted to catch it all even though she caught most of it like he was still right. like a couple steps ahead a step yeah just a yeah. step ahead or so yeah yeah, yeah and i i enjoyed that honestly with both, both films because i i liked I liked it more in the 99 version, which we'll talk about soon. Uh, but at the 68 version, it, it did. I, I did like that kind of he, he was giving it up feel. Where at, like at the end, he was kind of just like, all right, I'm flying away. You can meet me, I guess, if, if you want to. But like right. they're not together at the end of that one. 
Uh, right. Sorry to spoil the ending for the '68 one, <laughs> but like, uh, I, I, I like that. I like a little bit more. It cuts off like, yeah. right there, and and I'm okay with that. I think that's a good spot for a romance where it's like you can finish it for you if you want in your own head. Um, but for the story they just told, it's a nice, not the greatest ending they could have had, it's but a, it's a nice it's a ending. Casablanca moment. Yeah, yeah. But a lot quicker, I imagine. I've never actually seen Casablanca. I just what? You know, I know we'll watch Casablanca. it. Okay, we'll watch it, everybody. Oh my okay, god, couch potatoes. Yeah, we'll watch it. There's a there's a 2022 uh, episode for you somewhere down the line. That's a good one. It's a real good one. Uh, Thomas Crown Affair is nowhere near <laughs> Casablanca levels, I will say. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think I would agree with that without even watching the other movie. Because you hear At about least, Casablanca. Yeah, you hear about Casablanca. So, I think the story is interesting. But yeah. I, I have trouble relating to Thomas Crown because I don't have you know enough money to just throw my life away on super stupid stunty things right i mean even with that aside too his personality for us isn't relatable because he's very stoic and uh, withdrawn and i mean yeah. like in our personal lives we we are both very you know have our own withdrawn tendencies sure but we're very more uh, we we very much so present ourselves outwardly a lot, to, uh, at least to our friend groups and everything. Yeah. So it's like we didn't. I agree with not relating to him again as a millionaire, but also in at least the Steve McQueen version in regards to his personality because he's not very. He he's quietly stoic and charming. Right. You know, he's not he's not playboy like, stoic like or charming. Nobody knows anything about him. That's yeah because of the way that he interacts with people. And exactly. That is kind of hard for me too. Yeah, it kind of de- it definitely puts him on the outside for us as a viewer, and and also I don't really relate to uh, Faye Dunaway's character either because she's very very similar to Thomas Crown. Yes, it, it's very driven. Yeah, she's driven and she's kind of cool to her relationships around her. Like she still has yeah, yeah she still she still has a good camaraderie with the the detectives she's working with. Right, but at the same time, she's not letting them any like an inch within her lot personal life. Like she's, think, she's definitely like, holding them away. Like you said, Vicky and Thomas are both very similar in the way that they're both very intelligent. So, I feel like what they're trying to express is that she doesn't connect with the people around her because she's so much smarter than them and i kind of get that i feel like you know i I never necessarily (laughs) feel like i'm the smartest guy in the room but i do at least feel like i'm smarter than quarter of them Uh, so humble (laughs) (laughs) oh my goodness i love it i used to i used to honestly be like that and then i got to college and i was like man i'm fucking dumb and so then I spent most of college just being like, whenever I would say something, I'd be like, why did I say that? That was wrong. And I know it was wrong. And so as I've gotten older, it's been more just like, no, you're probably dumber than most people in this room. So you should just keep these weird facts in your uh, head. <laughs> <laughs> these facts that you think are real. Uh, and then you must Google later in the quiet of your own home so that you can be like, oh, I was right. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> So let's talk about the the heist in this movie because I thought the yes. setup for the heist was 
pretty interesting in the 68 version. Yeah, it was very uh, intriguing. Yes. So, it, and, and this is one of the more noir elements that you were kind of talking about. So, right. you don't see his face, but in this apartment room, Tom Crown, Steve McQueen, sets up a light so that when people walk in, they can't see him. And he hires a whole bunch of people to rob this bank. And he has the plans drawn up and everything. And that's like scene one. Like, it opens yes. up with him, like, darkly lit silhouette. And then the, the, the stumbling kind of portly driver, like, comes in. Yeah. And he's just like, oh. And he, you know, he works this guy around. This guy's sweating all the time. And then he finally mm-hmm. gets this guy to accept the job. Right. And, yeah, it's, it's very interesting first scene. I liked yeah. it. And he says, he told... He told the guy, man, Jesus, what am I, dirty Dan? So, <laughs> <laughs> so Thomas tells the guy to take this money and go buy a new car and just wait. And when he calls on him, he's got to be there. That's all the guy knows. And yeah. he said it might be months, too. Like, So we don't even know how long this scene is before the heist, the actual bank robbery and was this the one also was the the 68 version where everybody's waiting outside at like phone banks waiting for thomas's go is that i think yes. it was the 68 version where yes. where everybody's like yes. trying to find a, a, an unused pay phone so that he can call them <laughs> right man you know it's just that concept alone that you can you can call pay phones right yeah that, that boggles my mind but, I mean, <laughs> not anymore because i mean america's just about right i was reading uh i'm reading salem's lot by stephen king and he mentions you know party telephone lines which you know i knew about but i i think by the time i was born uh my human my human version of me was born uh i think by that time party (laughs) yes (laughs) no the human version of me which is 1990s oh uh yeah that was uh by that time party lines weren't really a fucking thing anymore at least not where i lived and so yeah it's it's just just the telephone system in general just from 68 to it's crazy to think about how quickly it's adapted definitely it's not even the same system anymore yeah it's fucking crazy it doesn't work like a telephone (laughs) now it just shoots it all the way up to the fucking satellites it's wicked but in the 68 thomas crown affair once everybody knows what date the the robbery is going down once he has contacted them and told them, they're all waiting out at, like, different telephone banks to get his, like, go-ahead. And once they get it, they all go to the bank, and they're all dressed uh, – and in in that one, how are they dressed? Uh, they're all in business suits, right? And bowler hats? Yes. They all wear boiler hats and sunglasses. And Sunglasses, yes, that's they're right. they're yeah. in business attire. Yeah, and they all go into the bank, and it's just, like, a very quick and easy, you know – 1960s bank holdup. They're transferring money, and they just you know catch the guy off guard with a gun, and all of them walk out quietly. With you know, yeah. there's, there's no no loud like stick them up, throw it all in the bag. Right. None of that. It's just it's a nice, quick and easy holdup. I like that. That was really yeah. It was smooth. And then the smooth. music was nice too. I don't. I didn't write down who did the music, yeah, but I enjoy the it music was music. it was really well done. I do know that it does have a. This movie has a original song called "The Windmills of Your Mind" by yeah. Michael Legrand von Oscar. Uh, um, it says that Michael Legrand did the music here. Okay, so that sounds right to me. 
And I don't know what I, the, the extra parts that I wrote. I can't read my handwriting, honestly. Oh, one in Oscar. That's what oh, it says. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I could read my own handwriting. Oh, <laughs> I write like a child still. But uh, yeah, that was a that's a fun song. I do enjoy that song. Uh, can I be honest? Now that we're towards the end here, I I really kind of was bored by this movie. Like at first, yeah. you know, it started off pretty good with the heist and everything. Yeah. Between him and Vicky getting together more more often, and their initial meeting, he keeps on meeting up with this one girl, and it, she has no real real purpose for the plot. But they go out and do these stunty things, which would be fun to watch, but it seems like they forgot to shoot it or forgot <laughs> to leave it in the in the movie. Because there's definitely this yeah. one time when he's got this glide plane hooked up to the back of the car, and she's like, why do you have to do these dangerous things? And he's like, I don't know what the fuck he says. It's something along the lines like, to do them, you know? What the fuck ever. Yeah, he's like, I got nothing else. Yeah, I'm rich. Yeah. <laughs> I'm bored. <laughs> and so they set up this glide plane to fly, and then they don't they don't show it flying. And I feel yeah, like- doing that. Both both films show it flying. Well, how did I miss it? I don't know. Yeah, it's it's a very long scene in the McQueen one where it's just him flying around. And it's just a glideless plane that's going around. Yeah, both both films have it. Maybe I fell asleep because it was probably at that point. Yeah, the the Brosnan one has it more. There's um, dialogue during it. Yeah, yeah, and it's a, it's a nice scene between him and Rene Russo uh, between Pierce Brosnan and R- Rene Russo. It's it's more incorporated. In it, but yeah, the the other one is just. Um, I think it's actually at the beginning. Actually, I, if I'm remembering correctly, I think they oh. showed the glide plane in the very beginning when they're playing the windmills of your mind song. That's it. You're it's right. Not, yeah, it's not shown actually in the movie. In the middle of the movie, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah I, that's that's why. Yeah, I don't I don't think it happens in that scene because you're right, and it's just in the windmills so of your mind weird. intro. So maybe weird. maybe that yeah. was an editing decision. Maybe they maybe we're gonna put that B roll in the middle of the film. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of editing decisions that like they're questionable, but I think they're okay. There's one where it's like they'll cut up the scene. You know, they'll they'll, they'll divide the 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 screen in multiple segments. And each one's basically showing the exact same scene, but like all of them are fuzzy except for one where the main subject is. Yeah, like I thought the the sectioning of the screen part was pretty neat, but like yeah, the it works for the heist. Weird. Yeah, it definitely worked for the heist. But when it got to the romance stuff, and like there, there's one where they're just playing polo, and like they cut up the whole scene and yeah, into different segments, and like you know the only one that's in focus is Thomas Crown playing polo. And like I don't know, it's like it, it worked for the heist, but I think as they kept doing it, I was like, you can have, you could have stopped after a while. Like it, it no I longer mean, works for these. Yeah, but I kind of liked it for the polo scene. I think that was actually something I liked about this film because at the very least, it was different. And you know, a lot of people were doing weird stuff like that mm-hmm. in the sixties, right? I it, that might just be because you know, okay, you know, the men riding the horses was kind of cool. I I, <laughs> I don't know if <laughs> cool is really nice the term look I'm looking for. Yeah, it was nice to look at. Okay, it it wasn't boring. 
It wasn't boring. That's right. <laughs> yeah, I can agree. I, I I agree with you when you said it was boring because I mean I didn't agree with you when you said it, but I am agreeing with you now because that's how I like I wrote down in my my notes that it started to stumble around the second act when it became a romance is when I kind of started getting bored with it because I didn't believe the romance. It's kind of like just a lot of long scenes where it's just like, oh, you know, she's you know she's investigating me. This is interesting. I like what's happening. And, you know, she's on the other hand, which is like, I fucking know he did this. Why did he do this? He doesn't need money. You know, it's like, it's, it's, it, it, it's interesting, but at the same time, not captivating. And yeah. yeah, I definitely, I definitely started to zone out around the second act, but I still liked it enough. Like it, sure. it was, you know, I guess to like close on it, if that's fine. Yeah, I with think you. it's a good closing statement spot. Yeah, so. yeah, I give it two and a half stars. It's still enjoyable, but I was not like this is a you know a nineteen sixties romance. I'm coming back to. No, I got plenty of other romances that I, I would you know I could watch over this one, but I, I still like the chemistry. I think that was the the big thing for me. The chemistry between Steve McQueen and Faye Dunaway was nice. I thought that was really good. But that was the only, like, that and the heist. I like the heist. Yeah, the heist was pretty cool. I just kind of wish there was more of that. Which they're like, yeah. there kind of is, but it's more like, mm, I don't know if cloak and dagger is the right term for it, but you know, it's kind of like, it, cat and mouse was better. There's some cat and yeah. mouse stuff, but it's more subtle than the, the heist was, and I feel like it could have used a little bit more of that, which I think they, I'm going to say up front, kind of accomplished in the other film. Oh, but yeah. I give it a full face, competent movie. There's things about it I really did like, but yeah, I got bored in it, so yeah. that's not good. It's not good at all, but what was good <laughs> was the remake. It's true, And yeah. uh, before, before we talk the remake, I think we should uh, go grab some it's soda pops. Yeah. Sort of pop time. But uh, I think we are back a Rooney Dooney to talk yeah. the uh, the 1999 film. Did you want to take away the uh, take it away with the differences in the storytelling? Sure, telling? I will. So, firstly, uh, Pierce Brosnan's Thomas Kane is an art lover. That honestly immediately made him more relatable to me because i love i love going to the art museum uh, yeah i could be I, there like for hours and i bore the people i'm with <laughs> no i i am 100 with that I, I love going to art museums and walking around that's one of my favorite activities but like not only is he like more relatable in that matter like again still a millionaire and this time even more of a millionaire than the last one like he's closer to I think billionaire status. I can't yeah, remember. Probably. They made up for inflation by like going way the fuck up in this one. I like see. he was crazy rich. He was like almost Batman or James Bond level rich. <laughs> yeah. And instead of using that for crime fighting, he he's plays, doing the exact same shit. Yeah. Yeah. Does yeah he does shitty shit. But it's not though. It's really kind of. I don't want to spoil it because I do kind of recommend this movie. I was going to say, though, that he's not relatable in the fact that he's a millionaire uh, or billionaire. Sure. Uh, but he he's just his his charm, his charisma that he pulls off, that Pierce Brosnan pulls off, is like so much more likable than Steve McQueen's. I love Steve McQueen. Like, I think he did a great job. Right. 
but Pierce Brosnan is fucking <clears throat> charming. Like, yeah, you is. know, like when he's when he's just sitting there looking at a painting, you're just like, oh, you're so handsome. <laughs> like, <laughs> I want to look at this painting with you. And <laughs> like, he just he just has this natural sway that makes his ta- his Thomas Crown more likable than uh, Steve McQueen's. Yeah, I think I'm inclined to agree. And playing opposite of him the Catherine Bannon of this remake. It, I was trying to like really pump it up and now I'm just rambling. So Rena Russo's in this movie and uh, she is once again an insurance investigator and she just wants the painting. That's yeah. what she keeps on saying anyways. She gets 5% of the painting's value back if right. it's returned. And the painting in this one is worth a hundred million or something like that. Yeah. So it's like she would get five percent of that. And it's a little tiny Monet. Just a tiny, tiny Monet. But he's just there for his haystacks. He's yeah. That's that's okay, so that's the thing that I loved is how they incorporated that into the story because he's like he goes there every single day. He like he makes that his like his modus operandi kind of thing. You know, he's always. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know if that's the right word. Um, but he he makes that his his daily. Routine. He goes there. He looks at this uh, haystack painting. I can't remember who it's by. It's a croissant. It's a. It's a Van Gogh. Oh, okay. Nice, nice. And he's just looking at that. And you know, the guards at the museum are just like, I don't know why you always come to look at this one when that Monet right there is worth like you know ten times more than that painting. He's like, I don't just yeah. like my haystacks. He's American too. No, he's not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's it's. it's and it's all set at the Met. That's a fun. I've never been able to go to New York, and I've never seen the Met. But someday I would fucking love to. It's got you know the biggest. I think it's like the biggest art gallery. It's one of them, if not. But it's just it's fucking beautiful, and just watching this whole heist get pulled off. And what I, I just oh, yeah. t- pulled up a picture to look at the front of the building, those columns, and yeah, it's the, beautiful the staircase. Yeah, but watching the the heist get pulled off, where he 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 hires, they're not Russian. I think they said they were Romanian, or like they didn't know where they were from actually, but like they believed it was Russia at first. But he like hires these like heist people to come in yeah. and try to rob like an entire wing, and in the chaos of everything going on, he sneaks in and steals the Monet. And that's, you know, that's the exciting, like that heist, John McTiernan, uh, if I haven't mentioned it, I, I think I did at the very beginning, but like he's the, the Die Hard guy. He, he directed right. Die Hard. He pulls off great action scenes. And that heist was very entertaining to watch. <laughs> I thought The original so was really good too. Yeah, I, I think it, 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 that was one of the best parts of that movie. But it, this first action scene, that's all I'll say, is is not my favorite of the film. I think it's good. Um, yeah. I think watching how uh, Thomas Crown fits into it is cool too because yeah. he's he's there on the scene. In the other movie, he just put these guys together and told them what to do. And he didn't right. he didn't go. And and like in this one it's it's very well paced. It's very well utilized how you know, you, you you realize early on that the the heist men, the people who are doing the robbery, they don't recognize or know Thomas Crown. Like, he meets them mid-heist 
And they're just like, get the fuck out of here. You, you know, it's like we're uh, we're cleaning, you know, we're, uh, well, they don't say get the fuck out. But they're like, we're cleaning the, the wing. You got to move along, please. You know, they just he's usher like him out like he's just another <laughs> member. It's in, I mean, that's like, that's always a big part of both of these films is that the people who are pulling off the heist, they don't know that Thomas Crown is the one who hired them to do it. Right. But this movie pulls that off really well because of that, the fact that Thomas Crown is there in the heist. And that they right. meet mid heist. It's it's really fascinating plan that he has in this one. Yes. It was a it was a good plan in the last one, but this one is like uh there's more layers to this plan. Right. Like he intentionally involves himself in a way that would implicate his innocence. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's just it's well thought out. It's it's uh, it's like a national treasure kind of thing. <laughs> there's, yes. there's so many layers, it's a puzzle. So, I didn't. We didn't name the guy who plays my. Uh, at least the counterpart to Michael McCannon, the detective character is Paul Burke mm. in the first movie, and we got Dennis Leary playing Michael McMahon yes. in this one, Captain Stacy. Uh, but there, beyond that, there's another character thrown into this story that didn't exist in the other story, and that's Thomas's psychiatrist played by Faye Dunaway. Yay. Yay. Yeah, that was a nice call out. Yeah, I really liked. Yeah. She was like at the very yeah. beginning of the movie, really. That's kind of where it starts. Yeah. And she has she and like the moments that they cut back are like nice and uh like collective and yeah. it, they you know, they connect they connect everything really well where it's just like, all right, that just happened. And now it's just like, and you know, how did she change her? I don't know, like specific stuff that happens in those scenes, but like, you know, it's how, that's how they move it along into a romance pretty well. I mean, not a romance yeah. between Pierce and Faye, but Pierce and Renee, right. because, because you know. she points out his emotions and stuff, and he's so like walled off. Apparently, he's definitely less so than Steve McQueen's version, but right, he she points out what's actually going on with Thomas. And it does give away, like, the things that he says. He never answers anything straight. Neither Thomas Crown do. He never says mm. anything that would actually incriminate him. He's right. very smart that way. Even when he's talking to a psychiatrist. However, like, we're still getting new information about how he feels about Catherine. So it is, I think that it was actually a really good add to the movie. It really was. And, and there's another character also who I can't remember. I think it's Anna. Um, oh, it's the, yes. the blonde, the younger blonde lady that's walking around with him, that's seen caught with him many times. Uh, and that's a- Anna Knudsen. Esther Canadas. Esther Canadas? It. It's the Enya, so Canadas. 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 <laughs> she, I, I like the addition of her character because- as you were saying, while we while we get the development of you know Pierce Brosnan, you know his feelings for Rene Russo's character, at the right. same time it's called into question whether or not those feelings are real or whether he is playing her uh -huh. with this Anna character because it's like you see her and it's like oh does he really like Rene or is he actually right? So I I appreciate it for it complicating the relationship that Catherine and Thomas have, but it does a couple of things that I don't like too. One, Catherine is then just get has to play the jealous woman 
which is, you know, right. an archetype pretty much that I, I don't know. It's not, it doesn't even happen anymore. Whatever. And then two, Anna has no speaking lines that I remember. Yeah, I didn't like that. No, she just she stares steelily at the camera a lot. Yes, yeah, she which I didn't. I didn't like that just either. There to look pretty and mean, and and, and to and, and as a plot device. Yeah, and like uh, to argue with the the jealous woman thing, I think they pull it off because while she is, um, while she does play that archetype, at the same time, her character is in itself a very powerful and strong female character. Like, she is, like, she does not take shit from a lot of people. And I think just, like, that jealousy angle, even though it does, uh, even though it is an archetype, I think from the perspective of this film, I I feel like they pull it off pretty well, where, like, it does feel, like, even though she feels wronged, she's also, like, she, she would have probably still chosen the job over him. Right. Regardless. Yeah, I, I do agree that it does interesting things to Catherine's character. I think that they play a lot more with how they're really feeling in this movie than yeah. they did in the previous movie. Or at the very least, they did it better in this movie. Um, yeah, way better. I agree with that. Is there anything else you want to talk about this movie? Or are we ready for closing statements? I think we should also talk the finale um maybe have to put up a spoiler wall but if we can't if we can avoid specific spoilers i would appreciate that but if we do spoil it i will i will throw a wall just to protect those uh those precious ears of yours couch potatoes but the finale it's in both films the thomas crown plans a second heist and it's kind of just uh, like i think in the first one it's kind of just to see if he can do it again I don't think he really had a specific reason to do it. And the 1999 one, the the Pierce Brosnan version, it's to put the painting back. But basically, the heist just becomes, you know, how he ends up putting the painting back if if he yes. does put the painting back. And yeah. it is it is so enjoyable. It is yes. a really great scene. It, it's kind of a like a magician's reveal, though. Uh, so yeah. it, it might, it, for but some people, those. might feel a touch corny, but yeah, I thought it kind of gave a oh, nice, I like that twist yeah. to it. Like I liked it, yeah. But that's the kind of shit I eat up. I love the big reveals. I think the the big reveal of it all, and then uh, the sentimental notes that are placed in there regarding paintings, I will say, mm-hmm. um, is very very enjoyable. I love that whole aspect of it. And, you know, I really enjoyed this finale, like, way more than the last one. It felt more... Yeah. It felt better for a romance, especially, yeah. I will say. I mean, it also didn't cut off abruptly like the yeah. first film did. I mean, it felt more but resolved. But I don't... I don't... <laughs> yeah, I don't... I don't... I don't take off points for the abrupt ending on, on the other film, though. Because right, right. I think sometimes that's interesting when that happens. Like in passing, we, yeah. we talked about that just recently. That was, I mean, right, it, right. It, that was, I mean, I feel like that ending is way more justified than the original Thomas Crown movie. However, in this movie, I, I like resolution, you know, so I, I think I like, I think I, I'm going to go ahead and say that I like this movie overall, uh, more than the first one. Uh, I think that it's going to probably shake out that way with movies from the 60s, <laughs> unless they're like just so 
spectacular that there's no reason to remake it and you know right it up which that's possible it's very interesting idea to to go back on i would love to do another old versus new yeah because there's plenty of plenty of opportunities there i mean psycho that fucking oh damn psycho that'd be an interesting one but uh for my closing statement, total agreement with you. I, I would choose the new versus the old. I think that the Pierce Brosnan version one had I like again. I love Steve McQueen, but Pierce Brosnan is just way better in this charming role. You know, yeah. again, he's he's still a, he's still a rich man that like I would look at and be like, I hate him. You know, yeah. how dare he <laughs> be able to just fly planes in the day? I want to do that. That fucker. <laughs> But at the same time, he's very just charming and charismatic. The heists he plans and pulls off are very, very fascinating to watch. I loved his relationship with Rene Russo more in this one. It felt a little more real because they really felt more like two personalities at odds, but at the same time at odds so perfectly that they mesh well together. It was was just an enjoyable film. I think there was one thing I wanted to mention that I'm forgetting. Well, why are you find that i just want to say i put a face on this oh right that in my closing statement but there i put the sorry it's done (laughs) my apologies i thought you know it's good um but i would give it three and a half stars i really enjoyed it and uh the one thing i remembered is that it reminded me of a novel i just read last year called uh, the goldfinch by donna tart which i don't know if she had this movie in mind when she was writing her book very very loose similarities they're not like the exact same but that one is about a young boy who is at an art museum that gets terrorized. It gets a, a bomb oh. explosion. Oh, man. Yeah, he loses his mom in the explosion and in the chaos of everything and in his own personal confusion, he steals a painting. And, you know, he runs hmm. home because, like, he thought his mom wanted, would, wanna, would have wanted him to protect it. So, he runs and brings it home and then later on sees that a couple of uh, EMTs who had arrived on scene – and also stolen the painting, have just been arrested and had huge consequences for stealing paintings. So it scares him to the point of later in his adult life, he is hiding the fact that he is still holding on to this stolen oh painting. <laughs> it's it's a fascinating book. I really enjoyed it, but it uh, I just wanted to give that kind of a shout out. It's a very older book. It's like 2004, I think. Yeah, very older. Out of all the books, very older. <laughs> I mean, I mean I just mean like I say I say I want to give it a shout out, but like it's, you know, it's it's 17, 18 years old, so a lot of people already know about it. Sure. It had a movie sure. be made on it just a couple years ago that I have not really? watched, but it had Finn Wolfhard in it. But yeah, it just it, as I was watching uh the Pierce Brosnan one, which is more about art and stealing art. I was just more fascinated just because I'd read that book recently. And I was like, ooh, I kind of know some stuff about this. This is very fascinating to me. And I enjoy art. So I know just enough to really embarrass myself if I ever try to join those circles. Well, just like to hear the name Monet and be like, that sounds rich. I know Monet. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good one to steal. But no, this has oh, been fun. I really enjoyed yeah. this segment of old versus new. Uh, it's again, it's very similar to sequel smash. I do hope we do this yeah. more often. Uh, I I can't say that these were my favorite movies. It seemed like you really enjoyed the remake, which that's great. I do yeah. think it definitely was better. I think it really just surprised me because I'm not a huge Pierce Brosnan fan. Yeah, mainly because like his his Sean or his James Bond films. You know, like I remember <laughs> watching those as a Sean kid Connery. and being like. 
Yeah, I remember. Yeah, I remember watching it as a kid and being like, "Man, these are just stupid." And like, I liked, I liked him as James Bond, but like, I didn't like his like his womanizing. I guess like he's very much. Uh, I don't know. I've only seen like his James Bond movies once. So when we get there in that playlist way down the line, it'll be very fascinating. Yeah. When, whenever we try to pick that up again. Right. But I've just never been like a huge Pierce Brosnan fan. And I think this movie just surprised me because it's just like I fell in love with him in like five minutes where I was just like, wow, he is a very good charismatic role for a, a romance film lead. Like that was really nice. So I think that's why I like the like was just because Mrs. of Doubtfire too. Yeah, I forgot he was in that. Wow. Like you, you kind of want to hate him a little bit along with Robin Williams, but he's still very nice to Miss Felix. Right. So I haven't watched that in a very, uh, very long time, well over a decade. Singer review of Mrs. Doubtfire. <laughs> I think that's our show. Yes, yeah, sure it is. Uh, I have been the Green Traveler from Gorsh. And I am the Faceless Leon. Thank you so much for listening. Check out our Patreon page. Thank you, patrons. It's patreon.com slash green and faceless. Safe travels yes. and good night. <laughs> green and Faceless on the Couch is a proud production of Fiction Works 19. If you like the show, please show your support by rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. Like, follow, subscribe, wherever you might listen. We also now have a Patreon account. If you feel so inclined to support us in a financial manner, please become a patron by visiting patreon.com slash greenandfaceless. You can also find more information about us on our Facebook account or on the FictionWorks19 Instagram account. Thank you so much for listening.